as they begin to speak, they begin to speak in all these different tongues. I know that tongues are very controversial for some people. I'm not going there. Okay? So, what I will say is this. In the Greek here, this word tongue is the word glossias. And glossias is a very real dialect. It's a language. The context makes it very clear that everyone from different cultures begin to hear them and understand them in their own language. Now, the word tongue seems mystical to us because of our cultural backgrounds, for some more so than others. And I do not mean to offend or correct or any kind of way whatever background you come from. That's not the intention right now. My intention is to help you understand what's happening here at this point, and that's it. Okay? But the word tongue is not a mysterious word. The word tongue is literally a Greek word that means language. Or it can literally refer to that physical muscle in your mouth. If you look it up in the dictionary and you look how it's used throughout multiple texts throughout the ancient world, it means either a dialect or a language that people understand, or it means the physical muscle that is in your mouth. That's what tongue means. The context makes it very clear that they're all beginning to hear them in their own language, in their own culture, in their own background. There is a speaking of tongues where people begin to speak something that doesn't make sense to us, doesn't seem to be German or a dialect of Africa or whatever, and that it has more to about do with the groanings of your emotions and the Spirit of God to connect you to God in a way that sometimes human language fails and lacks them. I've never experienced that, but I know people that I trust and admire and respect as godly men and women who have. And who am I to say whether God can or cannot speak that way or to limit God in some kind of way just because it makes sense, doesn't make sense to me or is confusing? However, what I will say is the Bible, including Paul, make it very clear that there must be a translator. There must, it doesn't do any good just to babble. There must be some understanding of what you're saying. So it either must be spoken in a language that other people understand, or it must be spoken to you and God in a way that you get what you're saying, what you, that it connects you with God and other people get it. I've also heard stories from a missionary, a man that I really greatly respect, who is backed up by multiple witnesses of people that I spoke to personally, who talked about going to a part of Africa and they told him that he had to go to this tribe. And he got a vision from God literally telling him to go to this tribe. And he showed up. And they were amazed because they had gotten <laughs> visions that some guy was going to come to them. And he didn't know how to speak their language. And he all of a sudden started speaking. God told him to speak. And he started speaking in their dialect. And they heard it and understood it. And they started accepting Christ between the vision and hearing him speak a language that they know that nobody else, even other people from other tribes, when they came back and told them, they're like, that's impossible. We've been living next to these people for years, and we can't even speak their language. It's so difficult. And he did it. But after about a couple of weeks, when he started translating the Bible for them, he couldn't do it anymore. And then he had to go through the arduous task of learning the language and translating it. And God did it for that brief moment. Why that brief moment? He doesn't know. I don't know. But he did it in order to impress them that this was legit and he was real and God was different. And then it became normal. Why does God allow people to speak in tongues one way and not another? Why is it permanent in one way? And I don't know. God is mysterious. 
And who am I to say that God can or cannot work in certain ways that are not clearly laid out and defined in Scripture? However, I would say there must, there must be understanding because God is not a God of confusion and God is not a God of chaos. There must be order. So I'm not saying that that type of speaking in tongues can't happen. There are different ways that it works. But it's happening a very specific way here. And that we're talking about here and now. And why is it important that you understand there's multiple dialects or multiple languages? First, because that's what it says. And we don't violate what Scripture says. But two, this is the undoing of the Tower of Babylon. The Tower of Babylon... We're told in chapter 11, now the whole world had one language and one common speech. And then what did they do? They built an institution slash government slash cosmic mountain to glorify themselves. And when God looked at that, he said, if they're able to rebel like this against me, unified, then there's no end to what they're able to accomplish and their rebellion and the chaos and their self-glorification. They even use the words of God. God said, let us make man and woman an image in our own likeness in order to expand our character, our being across the planet. And they said, let us make a tower for our own image and our own name to glorify ourselves in this place. They were making themselves gods. Control, power. And so God came down and he says, no, 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 no. When humans get together in large masses, bad things happen. We know that. The larger the city, the greater the crime. The larger the city, the less you actually know people, which means the more willing you are to ignore them or violate them. That's why people tend to be ignored on the streets when they're in need. And that's why we tend to have more robberies and more crimes and more all that kind of stuff. And so God says, no, no, no. I'm going to confuse you and scatter you. The language, speaking different languages, they curse from God to keep us from unifying in order to create worldwide rebellion and chaos. And this is what happens. What does the world do from this point on? They unify and become an empire and oppress and crush and enslave. And then that empire collapses and replaced by another one, which is enslaves, crushes, and oppress. Everybody that is ever unified into a large group of people, you find out later or immediately that they have done something really bad or horrible to hurt people or to take advantage of. And what God is doing is keeping that down. And humans' ultimate goal as a community of people, not individuals, is to unite together in a bigger and bigger body so that we can have more power to take advantage of other people for our own advantage. Now, what does God do? In the middle of all these nations that come out of the Tower of Babel, speaking different languages, now we've got to get unified again. We need more power. God comes to this lone nomadic man by the name of Abraham and says, you're going to be my kingdom. You're going to be my nation. I'm going to make you great. Not through your own self-drive, but through what I'm going to do through you. Did Israel still act like the world and try to become bigger and bigger and oppressed? Yeah, read the book of Judges and Kings and that kind of stuff and Samuel. And this is why God says, no, 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 you're not acting like my people. You're acting like the world. This is why I'm going to leave you through the Shekinah glory of God. But one day I will circumcise your heart 
And one day I'll bring you back out of exile. And one day I'll put my spirit in you. And one day you'll be able to be unified in the way that you're supposed to be under me for my kingdom and building my garden and my way and not for your own self-glory and name. And now when that day comes, they begin to speak in different languages. And God is now saying, I'm overcoming the curse of the Tower of Babylon. You're all unified. But you're not learning different languages so that you can increase your power and make alliances to oppress the people who won't get on board with you. You're now speaking different languages to share the power of the Holy Spirit who will be a witness for God, who will die for the, to themselves and become the last so that others become first and great in the kingdom of God and be included in that. And so now what we have is we have two kingdoms. From the very beginning, we have two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of man who's always being unified for power and the oppression of other people who will not get on board. And we will cancel you if you don't. And every, every entity that unifies does that to everybody else. It's a king of the hill mentality. It's a race to the top. And the other kingdom, you have the kingdom of God, which can only be unified through the Holy Spirit in order to suffer and sacrifice so that the kingdom can get bigger, which is mind-blowing to the way that humans think. Yet it works. Because through all the years, every kingdom has collapsed. And the words, okay, I don't care what you think about the movie, but I love this line. There's this movie called Bill and Ted's Bogus Adventure. <laughs> and in it, they go around with the Grim Reaper, the guy with the sickle, and he has this little ditty that I love and I've never forgotten. You may be a king on high or a little street sweeper, but eventually everyone dances with the reaper. And the idea is eventually you're all going to collapse. You're all going to fall. That's all going to happen to you. But only the church through the Holy Spirit has kept going. No matter how many times magazines come out, New Newsweek's magazine come out trying to blast or lambast the Christ and Jesus and the gospel. And no matter how many spins there are, no matter how many cults that rise up, um, we had the emergent church as a while ago, now deconstructionism. No matter how many times the governments do these things, the church just keeps getting bigger and bigger and changing the world. Yes, it has its problems. Every kingdom has collapsed. Every institution has failed. Everybody has eventually died or got arrested in prison who's tried to build their own kingdom. But the church keeps going. Nothing can stop the word of God. And this is the point. This is the beginning. This is the beginning. The beginning was when God first came to Abraham and said, follow me. And this is the climax that leads to the new chapter, the Holy Spirit. And so this is the idea that's being communicated. Now, I know we spent a long time on that passage, but like the cross, this is the second and most important significant event in the redemption of God, bringing everything together in order to build what we have. And hopefully it was absolutely fascinating to you as it has been fascinating to me learning this over the years. And I'm sure there's way more to this than even what I've discovered, but that's the beauty of scripture. There's always more to dig into and more to find. They begin to speak and everybody begins to hear. And now this is where the locals who are hearing it become wowed. This is where they're wowed. Verse 5. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven resting in Jerusalem. 
every devout Jews from all the nations. That means that some of them are purebred Jews, some of our Jews are mixed with other cultures and other ethnicities. And the first world language here of the, the what's called the, the Second Temple Judaism, the time period of Jesus and this, they're what's called devout Jews or um, biological Jews um, who are born in Jerusalem, they're purebred Jews, and they've lived in multi-generation Jerusalem. And then they're what's called Hellenistic Jews. They're, they're mixed in with other ethnicities over the years. They don't live in Jerusalem. And the, the local Jews always look down on the Hellenistic Jews as they, you're still believers and you're still chosen by God, but you're a second-class citizen kind of a thing. They were all there from all the nations. This is the very beginning of Micah 4 and Isaiah chapter 2 and, and all these things being fulfilled that all the nations will come to God. And they, residing in Jerusalem, when the sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking his own language. They expect to hear people speaking Greek. This is the only language that they're all going to understand at um, Pentecost because they're all there still from Passover. But now they begin to hear in their own tribal languages those weird backwater dialects that nobody, dialects that nobody understands, the, the mainstream ones on the other side of the empire, things that local, isolated uneducated Jews in a country about the size of New Jersey would not understand. And they've never, in all the years that they come to Jerusalem for the Passover, they've never heard anybody speak their dialect except for the people that they came with. And they hear it now, and they're completely baffled. And they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, Galileans was like the backwatered, uneducated swamp land, not literally swamp, but that kind of a, of Israel. These are the like, there's no way. Okay, there's no way they, they know multiple languages. There's no way they can do this. We know them for who they are. And how is it that each one of them hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and the province of Asia, and Phyoterga, Pamatophilia, in Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors of Rome, all corners of the Roman Empire, all the way from Rome, on the furthest part of the West, across what we know as modern-day Turkey, through what we know as Russia, going all the way to the edge of, like, India, okay? And then all the way from the north of um, the, the Black Sea, all the way down to Egypt and Kush, which we know as modern-day Ethiopia. They're all hearing this. That's a huge spectrum. That's a huge spectrum. Both Jews and the proselytes, the word proselyte is, um, there are two types of Greeks that are not born Jews. Well, there's three types. There's those who are like messed up and pagan and don't want anything to do with God. And then there's those what's called God-fearers. And the God-fearers are like, hey, I'm kind of interested in this Yahweh. He seems like way better than any of our pagan gods because he is. And... Um, and I want to be a part of this. I want to learn your scriptures. I want to be a part of it. In fact, I think I'm ready to abandon my gods and actually go with you. Or maybe I really truly have abandoned my gods and I would go with you. But that whole circumcision thing and a grown man, not really willing to do that. And, um, and then there's a few other things like, I don't know if I'm willing to go kosher yet. It kind of like my livelihood depends on pigs and I really like that and other things. But I really love this Yahweh and I want to follow him. They're called a God fear. The proselyte was the one who's, I'm willing to go all the way. 
I'm willing to die full-blown into the law. I'm not a Jew. I was not a born Jew. I don't have any Judaism in me. I'm a Greek, but I'm going to completely abandon the gods. I'm going to go full-blown circumcision, follow the law, kosher, everything. And so it says the people are proselytes, the ones who are doing all the festivals the way they should be. They're allowed in certain parts of the temple um, that because they've been proselytes, they, they circumcised, they're part of the Abraham Cup. They were there. Cretans and Arabs, they hear them speaking in their own languages, with the great deeds of God had done. All these were astonished and greatly confused, saying to one another, what does this mean? I just spent the last hour explaining to you what this all means, and then there's even more so, but they don't get it. But others jeered at the speakers, saying, they're drunk with new wine. They probably don't mean that they're drunk, like they're talking like a drunk with slurred speech. Okay, or just talking nonsense. Because that means everybody would be like, there's something wrong with these people. Okay, it's not like a whole bunch of people are like, they don't sound like they're slurred and nonsense. And other people are like, yeah, they do. They don't mean that. That would be impossible. You can't have a whole group of people completely impressed with how fluent they're speaking their language from the nook of then the cranny of the Roman Empire, and then speaking through the Old Testament and, the, and all, connecting all these dots and talking about Christ, and they're wowed. And other people are like, you ding-dongs are actually just slurred speech and babbling about nonsense. What they mean is it's probably just doesn't make sense to them because they're all speaking at the same time. You got Peter over here speaking one language, and you got John over here speaking another language, and you got Mary over here speaking a different language, you got Martha over here, and then you've got the other hundred and something speaking all these different languages, and they're all speaking at the exact same time, and it would kind of sound babbling. Okay, I'm now getting to the age where my hearing is really good still. I can hear my girls turn the doorknob in the middle of the night down the hallway while I'm sleeping. But then when I get into like the fellowship hall and everybody's talking at the once, I could barely hear anybody next to me. Okay? And so if I were staying in that room, I'd be like, this just is like nonsense to me. It just sounds like babbling. It's probably that. Or it probably is sounded like, like the, the, the way drunk singing and praising. There was probably praising and singing. And they're like, this is 9 o'clock in the morning. This is way too soon for all this. And what most likely is being said here is those who had a heart for God, those who could hear and see and wanted to, they hear it. They hear like Peter Olson says, like, when you say somebody's name, your daughter's name in the crowd, and they're like, they, or you hear your name, you whip around, it just pulls you out, they hear. But the people who are kind of like, it doesn't matter whether you got up in their face and love them and share the gospel, they'd be like, this is crap. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't have the ears or the eyes to see. They probably are like, this just sounds like babbling to me. And I don't mean like it literally is babbling to them and they don't understand their language, but it probably just feels like they're in a giant fellowship hall or lobby or whatever and it's just a lot of noise and it's hard to pinpoint them but i'm sure if the holy spirit really wanted to speak to me in that moment with somebody across the room it would just become tunnel vision or tunnel hearing for that word and i think that's the idea that's going on here is it shows their hearts and every time that you have and people were wowed but there were some who mocked it always has to do with the heart it never has to do with intelligence or ability or skill. It always has to do with the heart. And what it's saying is that, yes, despite this being so wowing and amazing, there's still some who are like, this is dumb. Just like 
How amazing would it be to see God bring ten plagues in an 11-month period and crush the greatest empire the world has ever seen at that time period and then spare the firstborn of only people who put blood on their doorposts. And then the Shekinah glory of God comes to you literally in person, going up in the eye and follows you out in the Red Sea parts and he provides you bread and water, da, 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 da. And then your response is, screw you, God. You brought us out here only to kill us. You're a horrible, evil God, and you don't care about us, you don't care us. I'd rather go back to Egypt where life was better. It's called the high-handed sin. Where you shake it at God and you literally like, literally or metaphorically say, screw you. Because it has to do with your heart. We say, well, if people could only see to... No. The people who have the heart to see it would still see it and the people who don't would still would not. And this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about that they sounded like they were drunk to everybody. It's, it's that they didn't make sense to people who don't have the heart for it. The eyes or the ears. This is what Isaiah said in chapter 6. 